0: 1 Peter, chapter number 4. 1 Peter, chapter number 4. And we'll start in verse number 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift. So Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let any man speak, let him speak. As the oracles of God, if any man minister, let him do it. As of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Elijah and I watched a video Monday. It was about this pastor who had become a post-millennialist. And what that means is he believes that During the age in which we live, things will get better and there'll be revival in the land and things will progressively get better until the world has been taken for Jesus Christ. And so the millennial will be brought in by the work of the church and then after we have a millennial reign or a millennial kingdom, then Jesus will come back. So it's sort of the opposite of of what we believe. We believe Christ will come and establish his kingdom and then there'll be peace on earth, but they have it to where the opposite, where things will get better by the work of the Spirit, and then Jesus will come back. And he said in that video, um, one of the things that drove him to that belief was, he heard somebody say, what if we're still in the era of the early church? And what he meant was, what if the Lord doesn't return for another twenty or 30,000 years? And then at that time, they would look back and say, wow, those people, 2,000 years into Christianity, they really uh, were just in its infancy. So his way of looking at things is that we need to be building a lasting structure, that we need to be thinking about not only the next generation, but generations down into history, that we need to be building a good foundation and working for, for the future so we can bring that kingdom in for Christ. Well, I appreciate the optimistic view, and I think sometimes we might not think about future generations like we ought to. Maybe we don't think about uh, you know, the next generation of that after preparing them uh, for, for battle and so forth. And there could be an attitude, which would be bad, that just say, that says, well, Jesus is coming back, there's no sense worrying about it. That's a sinful type of attitude. But the Scripture doesn't paint that kind of picture for us, and it doesn't have us to have really any of those types of attitudes, thinking that um, planning for thousands of years down into the future, or to just batten down the hatches and hang on and just wait for the Lord to come back. We have the Scripture shows us, not that we're in the early church, but just the opposite, that we have to have the mindset that we're living in these last days, these last times. The end of all things is at hand. And over and over again in the scripture, we are told to watch and to wait and to be ready and to be looking for that day, to have a a last days mindset that uh, time is of the essence. Time on earth is short. And what we will do for the Lord, we need to do today. We need to be about the Father's work. And so we're not to have a defeatist attitude that, well, there's nothing that we can do, don't worry about it. Or to have the attitude that that we need to to bring in the kingdom of God for Jesus, So we have to go out and focus our attention on politics. And see, that's what that leads to, because um, the, the post-millennialists are, are very into politics, they're into to education, they're into uh, you know running for office and these types of things because they, they want to build a Christian substructure in the government and so forth. So they have a lot of focus on politics and, and that kind of thing. Well, that's not the focus that the Bible has for us either. Peter is writing to us here tonight as we read this, and those he wrote to, um, they were pilgrims, they were strangers, they were travelers. And the whole gist of this, this letter is Peter writing to people who were on their way home. That's how it starts out, that we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. That the trial of our faith, Is more precious than gold because we're looking to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. All through this letter, Peter reminds us that the Lord is coming back. We have an inheritance waiting for us. The Lord is coming back. And so in our trials, in our sufferings, in our service, in our dealings with one another in the church, we have the mindset that the Lord is coming again that the end of all things is at hand. Let us press on to that inheritance that we have. And you could even, you know, some people take it that he meant that we don't have long to live. And so use every hour and every moment of our lives for God's glory. Well, either way, the, the, the thought is the same, that we are looking to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. We are looking to him as the, the risen Savior at the right hand of the Father, to him who will return in great um, power and majesty. Peter isn't telling us to reform the, the culture, but to press on. You don't read an optimistic hope that the Roman Empire was going to be changed to a Christian nation or where all the nations of the earth would bend the knee through our witness and through our work. But the, the the theme of this and the New Testament epistles is we will always be at odds with the God of this world and the seed of the devil. That until the Lord comes back, we will always be at odds with this world, this world system, and the people of this world. That it is the, the, the one seed of, or the other. It is Cain or Abel. It is Joseph or his brother. Isaac and Esau. Or Jacob and Esau. Isaac and Ishmael. It's, it's always going to be two opposing groups in this world. And so Peter tells us to press on with the mindset of us pilgrims traveling to our destination. Because that's what a pilgrim does. He's traveling to get somewhere. You think of the pilgrims uh, of, of years ago here to this country. They they got on the boat and they came over to the new world. They were pilgrims because they left their home where they were from and they were coming to a new destination. Their goal, their journey, their desire was to come to this new place and establish a new land. They were leaving behind persecution. They were leaving behind uh, many hardships, and they were going to face many hardships. But they had a goal in mind. They had a, a, a destination that they were traveling to. That's what they were living for. And so you and I are pilgrims. That we are traveling to our heavenly home, our inheritance, the the, the rewards that we have waiting for us that Peter talked about in the first chapter receiving the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. And so with that mindset we travel, with with our destination in mind is is how we live. The end is near. Verse 7. Now this is meant to be an encouragement to us. Motivation for us. When I was little, um, the thought of the Lord coming back, that, that terrified me. I I thought about um, uh, lost loved ones who would who, who did not know the Lord Jesus. What that would face, in you know, it, it always terrified me to to think of that. And it should terrify people to stand before the judge, the who will give a, who will judge the quick and the dead. But for God's people, it shouldn't be a terror. But it should be an encouragement, and it should motivate us to to keep going. We've only got a short period of time here upon this earth. And, and either we'll go to meet the Lord through death or the Lord will come back and we'll meet him that way. But the, the end is at hand. Keep, keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't fall away. That's why Peter says this, to, to help us, to encourage us, to, to motivate us. This world and this system can't go on Forever. I mean if if you just think about our our nation it can't keep going the way it's going I mean that's just anybody can see that you can't you can't go the way mo- morally that we are going and expect that to continue on we're we're trying to, to build a house on on, a sa- on sand but that's the world that's the system of the world it's not built upon a solid foundation We can see how things are temporary and things are unstable. This world and its system just can't keep on going forever. The end is at hand. And and we don't know when the Lord's coming back. He might not come back for a thousand years. We we don't know. But But the fact remains that This what we see around us is not eternal. It's not going to last. It can't stand the test of time. It cannot help us um, in our our life and death. So we look to the Lord where there's a culmination of all things. Christ is victorious over his enemies. We don't have to be discouraged at, at the wickedness that goes on and out and about in this world. We we don't have to be discouraged about the wickedness in high places and the evil rulers and so forth. Christ has ultimate victory. The end is near and Jesus promised to return. He said, surely I come quickly. And John said, even so, come Lord Jesus. He is coming again. And so he says, I come quickly, not to think that it's going to be, always oh, it's going to be millennia down the, down the road. It's going to be thousands of years down the road. No, he says, I come quickly. Look to me. Remember my coming. Watch. Be ready. Look. So, like I said, it is looking in the sense of motivation. In First Thessalonians chapter number 5. Verse number six. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So let's not sleep, but let's be awake. Be ready, be thinking, be looking around, be ready let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet so- and the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and do edify one another, even as also ye do. So here is some application to this truth. The Lord is coming back. Now, everybody, people in this world that don't pay attention to that, they're, they're sleepy, they're, they're drunken with the pleasures of this world and all the things that go on in this world. They're, they're, they don't see what's happening right before their face, right before their eyes. But he said, let us of the day, you know, it's daytime. Let the the others sleep. It's daytime. It's time for us to be awake. It's time for us to be, be, have our wits about us. Because God has not appointed us to the coming wrath, but salvation. So comfort ourselves together tonight. Comfort yourselves. Edify each other. Build each other up. Help one another. Motivate one another. I know we have hard times. I know there are, there are sicknesses and, and heartaches that we have here in our number. But remember, the Lord has not appointed us to wrath. We can be thankful for that tonight, can't we? That the Lord has not appointed us to wrath. We can be thankful that we have salvation by grace, through faith, in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be thankful tonight that whether that he died for us and whether we sleep or whether we die before he returns or whether we see him coming, we're going to live together with him. Comfort one another tonight. Build one another up tonight because the Lord is coming again. In Romans thirteen, verse number eleven, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first, when we believed, that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So here, it's a motivation to godly living. A motivation not to follow the ways of the world. Not to to live like the Lord is not coming back. But knowing the time. Knowing God's plan. Knowing that God has, the Lord Jesus Christ has promised to return. And not to live like this world is all that there is. But to live knowing that he's coming back. That will change your perspective on things. To remember that the Lord is coming again. So look up for motivation. Look up metaphorically. As in, you know, chin up. Don't be discouraged. Remember what you have coming. Remember the crown that awaits those that love is coming in Second Timothy 4.8. Be comforted, as we read in 1 Thessalonians, by the thought that Jesus is coming again. That's something that um, people like to make fun of, those who believe in, in the, the end times view that we hold. They, they make fun mm-hmm. of us for um, talking about having com- you know, looking to the Lord's return. And, and so, well, you just want to escape evil and you want to escape hard times. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with inter- the, the way that I interpret the scriptures that we are to be comforted looking to the Lord that His return is not. We are told to look for Him. We are told um, to be comforted by the thoughts of His return. We are told not to be discouraged but press on. To consider the the, uh, the rewards to consider what we will be when he returns, what we have coming. So in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then we shall be brought to pass by the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's what we have awaiting for us. So Paul tells us what's going to happen at the last trump. He tells us what's going to happen when we are, our dead body shall be raised from the dead. And what does that do? It gives us motivation to press on, be steadfast. Because of all this, be steadfast. Because of this truth, be unmovable. Because that death has been swallowed up in victory, keep abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we shall be changed, because we shall be like him, because this mortal must put on immortality, know that your labor is not in vain. Your hardships are not in vain. Your works of faith and love are not in vain. Your your love that you show to to the brethren is not in vain. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of effort. Teach a Sunday school class. Your labor is not in vain. You witness to your neighbor. Your labor is not in vain. You cook somebody's supper because they're sick. Your labor is not in vain. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You pray for your brothers and sisters when they're sick. Your labor is not in vain. Sing hymns of praise unto the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. See, that's a motivation to, to look But the Lord is coming. He's coming back. And so we go back to our text. The end is at hand. The end is all things of a hand. Is at hand. So now because of that, because of this truth, he says, be sober and watch unto prayer. So we might say, because the Lord is coming back, be sober-minded and self-controlled. Which is unto prayer. So we're going to start with prayer first and work our way backwards. So the return of the Lord, watchfulness and self-control and sober-mindedness and the love of others is connected to prayer. So um, in Ephesians six eighteen, I'll read this one. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Then he says, And pray for me that utterance may be given that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he said to pray, and pray with watching and all readiness, pray for others, continue in persevering prayer. Pray for the gospel ministry that it would go forth and be successful. So here, Paul is asking for prayer. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Pray watching. Pray as you're busy about the Lord's work. Pray for other people. Pray that the the ministry of the gospel and the service of the church would, would go forth. So this is the attitude that we have as God's people. The Lord is coming back. Let's pray. What happens whenever you get really, really sick? Not, not just a cold, but you're, you know, you're, you're really sick. You pray, don't you? Now that's, That might be a shameful thing for us to say, yeah, well, yeah, well, I pray a lot more whenever I'm sick or maybe even more when someone you love is, is, is sick or facing surgery or something. That, that, it, that motivates us to prayer because we start thinking about things in the right perspective, don't we? We start thinking about eternity. We start thinking about, well, maybe I'm not long for this world. And we start thinking about your love, and That motivates us to prayer. Well, Peter says the end is at hand. We should live with this attitude that, that today might be the day we go and meet the Lord. And, and not in a fearfulness, but in a, a joy... And a confidence and an assurance, but put things in the right perspective. That tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. And that our desire should be to spend every moment we can, as it says at the end of our text that we read, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So so whenever we have this right perspective, it motivates prayer. In Colossians 4.2, it says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So we're devoted in prayer, we're watchful in prayer, but we're thankful in prayer. And then in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be careful for nothing or don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So when we know who is in control, when we know that Jesus is coming again, we are not anxious, but in all things, with supplication, with prayer, with thanksgiving for what God has given, so we ask him for things, but we're thankful that he hears us and thankful that he answers us. We have, and the peace of God shall keep our hearts in mind. So knowing that the end of all things is at hand motivates us to service, settles our hearts, settles our minds. We're not to be anxious. We're not to be full of care. But we're to be prayerful, thankful, content, and settled. So if you look out with people that are are caught up in the the climate change and global warming to the to the point that they it's almost religious to them so don't say it's religious you're carrying it too far. I saw um a priest say that we had to atone for our climate sins or something like that offer sacrifices for climate sins so don't tell me it's it's not a religion it is to some people but what's that do does it bring? It brings unsettledness to these people. It brings fearfulness, terror. But the Lord says the in our in our text here in the Word of God, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober and watchful. And then Paul says, thankful and full of peace and without anxiety. What other religion? Could offer you that. Tell you that the end of all things is at hand and then offer you peace and assurance and thankfulness and joy. The religions of work can't offer you that. The religions that are based in what you can get here in this world can't offer you that. But Christ can. Christ can offer you that. The Lord's return Therefore, motivates us to a settled, confident, thankful assurance. Well, he says, be sober and watch unto prayer. Um, Drew Dyke wrote a book called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And and it's a book on self-control. And he said four of the New Testament words used to talk about self-control are in this verse. So sober, the Greek word, um, Here describes someone with a sound mind who's balanced. According to Scripture, it's especially important for the elders in the church to possess this key attribute. So 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 2, 2. It denotes moderation, but it doesn't speak of a middle-of-the-road mentality, but it portrays a mindset that is righteous and temperate. The person who has this quality is not prone to erratic, impulsive behavior. So sober. If you're drunk, what are you prone to? Impulsive, erratic behavior. That's why you know, people do such silly things uh, whenever they're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. They have no... Um, they have, they've, they've lost the ability for temperance in their mind and decision-making and are prone to impulsive foolish, reckless, and erratic behavior. Well, I don't think it's talking about being sober, free from alcohol, but mentally, self-controlled. The ability to do the right thing. To be unshaken by things around us. But to be a sound mind. Well, that's what God has called us to. And having our minds right Will let us be be uh, be sound uh, sober minded when all the world looks like it's burning down around us. There's a commercial that I saw where um, it's uh, I don't even know what they're selling, but uh, the woman it, it, it's a woman's mind and. It's supposed to be like social media and all the things that are going on, and there's two news anchors, and the, and she said everything's on fire, Every, the world's going to explode, everything is awful, and going all these down things, and so now let's go to the weather report outside, and then the news person starts screaming, and she doesn't even say anything, she just starts screaming, and then finally she just shuts everything off because because everything on social media is just driving her to be neurotic and. And, panic, and the world is going in, she just shuts it off, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's all right, because she doesn't have all those voices screaming at her that everything is terrible. Well, we can be sober-minded to know the big picture. God is in control. People in Washington have power, but they're not ultimately in control. People in Charleston have power, but they're not in control. God raises the kings up, and he sets them down. God is in control. The Lord is coming back. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We are, we are safe and secure in Christ. Have that mindset and live according to those promises. That's how you can have peace and take a big, big deep breath and trust in Christ and, and we can calm down. I guess would be one way to say it. We can, we can trust Christ and do the right thing based upon Scripture, not based upon all the things that are going on. Now, the other one, watch, that Greek word literally means to, to be sober, to abstain from wine, but use figuratively. Um, it can warn against being duped by false teachers in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Um, becoming prey for the devil's attacks, Peter uses this three times in this letter. In chapter one and verse thirteen, um, he says, "Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." So here he uses the same words, thinking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter five, verse eight, "Be sober, be vigilant, because you are having to the devil." As a roaring lion, walking seeking whom he may devour. So in both cases, you're just on guard looking out for danger. So we're to be awake, looking around, sober-minded, self-controlled, not being overtaken by outside forces to cause us to panic, but to to walk in accordance, to what God would have us to do. To be able to say no to sins of the world. Back in verse number three. Lasciviousness, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. To be able to say no. I don't, ha- I don't have to partake of those things. I don't have to take partake of the sins of the flesh now because I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. I don't have to live my life for the flesh. I don't have to live my life for the desires of the flesh now because I have a home waiting for me in glory. I have eternal life. I have an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance. My Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And there I'll receive all the gifts that are promised to me. I'll have a glorified body. I'll never grow old. I'll have more of joy and and bliss and, and happiness in the ages and ages to come than I could ever experience here in this body of death. Experiencing the sin of this world. So I can be self-controlled and say no you ever heard of the marshmallow experiments um, this was in the book I was telling you about he talked about it um, a group of scientists at Stanford took some preschoolers and they set them in the room to observe them and they, they made a deal with all these preschoolers they they set um, a marshmallow a cookie and a pretzel out in front of them and they said this is yours you can have it you can have it anytime you want it. But if you can wait fifteen minutes, don't eat any of these things. If you can wait fifteen minutes, then you can have two of each one of them. You can have two marshmallows, two cookies, and two pretzels. You just have to wait fifteen minutes. Well, it seems like an easy deal, right? Just wait fifteen minutes, you can have two of everything. But almost every one of the kids failed. Um, Some, just as soon as they walked out and shut the door, they grabbed the marshmallow and stuffed it in their mouth. Um, Some of the kids started doing different techniques. They closed their eyes and started singing. Um, One of them picked it up and started playing with it like it was a little doll. (laughs) Anything to divert their their mind and their attention away. There were some kids that made it the whole 15 minutes, and they, they got their treats. But most of them couldn't delay their gratification for 15 minutes, for the obvious better deal of doubling the reward. Well, that was the end of the experiment. I just wanted to see what the kids would do. But the interesting thing is um, the the preschoolers were the same age as this guy's daughter. And whenever she got to high school, she went to school with several of these kids. And his daughter would come home and tell him about what was going on and everything. And the classmates would... Uh, talked to her one time about that and um, that experiment and he started noticing something and he went back and found all the kids that they did he noticed that all the children who were able to wait as a preschooler and got the double prize ended up being successful in school. They had good grades. uh, They stayed out of trouble. They ended up being successful in life and their job. But the kids that didn't wait and had to have everything right now They're the ones that struggled in school. Some of them got in trouble with the law. Um, And it was that pattern that carried them through their whole life. That those people who did not have any self-control would indulge themselves in whatever they want despite the consequences. The the self-control that we have is a fruit of the Spirit. And we, you and I are prone to do the same thing. We know what the Lord has promised us. We know that what we have waiting for us is better than anything this world has to offer. But, you know, we, we are so tempted not to, to, to feed this flesh, but to, to or we're tempted to feed this flesh, knowing it's not going to be good for us, Knowing that what Christ has for us is so much better, and um, I thought that was a, just an interesting take look at uh, human nature, because our self-control um, is is a fruit of the Spirit to to say no to things that we know are all wrong. Well, last thing I want to say about self-control and uh, is that. It seems very self-centered. Self-control seems very self-centered. Even in the example, the marshmallow example, the children were successful in life. They were they were able to um, put off uh, a delayed gratification. They were able to say, I know I want to go out with my friends, but I got homework to do, so I'm going to do my homework so I can get a good grade. They were they were very self-disciplined and were successful. But what happens when your goals are out of whack? In the same book, he tells of Clayton Christensen. He graduated from Harvard Business School. And he said, Over the years I watched the fates of my classmates from Harvard unfold. I see more and more of them every year come to reunions, unhappy, divorced, and alienated from their children. I can guarantee you that not a single one of them graduated with that strategy of getting divorced and and raising children who would um, be estranged. And yet a shocking number of them implemented that strategy. He said he started thinking about it and he said they, they didn't keep the purpose of their lives front and center as they decided how to spend their time and talents and energy. He said they inadvertently invested for their lives of hollow and happiness. And so what he was saying was these, these people were very dedicated in their schoolwork and very dedicated in, in college and then very dedicated to their work. But it was all self-centered for these people. Um, and so he went on to talk about how these highly successful people from Harvard Business School sabotaged themselves because they weren't thinking about... They weren't thinking about uh, true and lasting things. Our self-control, our sober and watchfulness is not for ourselves but it's for the glory of God and for one another. Because the very next verse, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. So the rest of that section is how we serve other people. And so my last point is that sometimes end times talk can get us very self-focused and thinking about ourselves and thinking about getting our stuff in order. But what this last day living, the end of all things is at hand, to be sober, to be self-controlled is for so we can pray for others. We can watch with others. We can love others. We can be hospitable with others. Because the, the command is to, to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. That is, that is uh, the heart of, of what Christ would have us to do. To look to him and look to his return and then look to our brothers and sisters and look to their need. That we can be calm and steady and sober-minded and self-controlled and thankful and content and prayerful because Jesus is coming back, because we have the promises of everlasting life, and so we can look to one another and help one another along and lift one another up as we travel together as pilgrims to our heavenly home.